Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can take courses on everything under the mystical sun there, from meditation to chaos magic to personal finance even. Everything you need to rule your world and turn a crazy and out-of-control reality, which, let's face it, it kind of is right now, into the perfect crystalline distilled image of your capital W will. And I'm the teacher. It's great. It's really awesome. And there's a group of, stu uh, group of students uh, that is constantly interacting and growing and learning from each other. And it truly is the best place to be on the internet. If you're into this kind of thing, which I assume you are because you're listening to this podcast, Meet me there. Meet all of us there. The website is magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. And I will very much enjoy seeing you in class. Yes, hello. It's Jason Liu. This is the Ultra Culture Podcast, episode 69. I am working on yet another vibe. Open Source America. Okay, what do I mean by this one this time? In the last year, two years, actually for quite a long time, we've been hearing a lot about all of the structural problems within America. And I am very aware that not all of my listeners are American, although quite a lot of them are. Uh, but even if you're not American, then this still applies to you because you've lived with the idea of America your whole life. And it has um, been, I'm sure, an ever-present either irritant or inspiration, depending on what part you're looking at. And America still, at least for a little while, shapes uh, global attitudes. So the idea of America, in many cases, is more important uh in some ways than the actual physical reality of it. And I have certainly noticed in my own travels around the world, whether it's in Europe or Asia, India, um, that people love the idea of America. They love the proposition of, of America. Uh, they love the culture of America, the movies, the art, the music, but they almost invariably do not like the foreign policy of America. Well, the truth is, for most of us, we don't like it either, uh, unless you're the most, you know, dyed in the red wool, um, you know, neocon baby boomer. Uh, I don't think anybody really likes the foreign policy of America. Um, we don't get to vote on it. Uh, it is decided, you know, with our tax dollars, without our consent, largely, I guess, I suppose it's with our consent because we elect supposedly representatives that make those decisions, but really it has nothing to do with the average people of America. And in fact, we're very much kept in the dark about it. Almost everything that the uh, U.S. military does is classified and certainly is kept out of the nightly news while we're kept busy fighting each other over token social issues. Um, so that is a, that's a dictomy that I always found fascinating when I was traveling and it was, um, slightly disturbing in that I often had to hide that I was American. Um, but also hopeful and reassuring in that 
everyone loves the idea of the freedom of America and the idea that you can do anything that you want and be anything you want and build anything you want and the idea that America means prosperity and success and the American the American dream. And yes, I do think the American dream is still alive. I really do. And that's what I want to talk about in terms of the idea of open source America. So if we start from the basis of America as an idea rather than the honestly the ridiculous political mayhem and and uh, just idiocy that we've seen from both ends of the political spectrum, which is shameful and um, disappointing. <laughs> um, if we set that aside for a moment, <laughs> and, and that should be a nice feeling. If we set that aside for a moment, we still have this core idea that America is a place where you can build whatever you want. And I think that that idea, whether you physically live in America or you want to inhabit that idea and embrace that idea as a, as a, what it originally was, which was a cry of freedom for the human spirit, that's still a very inspiring idea. Now, why am I saying open source America? So I'm very into the open source software movement. I have for I have been for a while, but definitely more so recently. Uh, the open source software movement is very much centered around, or has been centered around Linux and, and or you know new Linux and. Uh, open open BSD, free BSD, things like this. Uh, it's very much uh, the baby of a of a very bizarre individual named Richard Stallman, uh, and it's it's you know it's been around for several decades now. The open source software movement was a backlash against the corporatization of Windows uh, and everyone's favorite uh, new new fresh bachelor, um, freshly eligible bachelor, Bill Gates. Uh, so it was it was a reaction against the corporatization of Windows and to to some extent also Apple. That movement, even though it's been around for a long time, has only become increasingly relevant as technology has become more and more locked down, draconian, invasive, um, and a platform for surveillance and for social control, which is in total opposition to what the original dream of the internet was and of of computing in general. It was the idea that this was going to free people. And I grew up during that time. And, you know, I've been on the internet since 1993. And I've been, well, I've been on some form of networking going back to BBSs since 1987. So, uh, you know, I got my first PC in 1985 and I have lived in a computer ever since. So these things are very near and dear to my heart. So the idea of open source software is that it is proprietary, it is free, it is not controlled by corporations, and it is managed by a community of unpaid contributors instead of a corporation. So everyone's kind of collaborating to make it. Now, out of the open source software movement, we also get things like uh, the CryptoPunks, which lead to things like later on Assange and WikiLeaks, and of course, cryptocurrency, right, comes out of this, largely to some extent, comes out of this same world. That too, just like the World Wide Web, is becoming increasingly controlled and corporatized. Although also like the World Wide Web, there's a certain aspect of the technology where it will be impossible to ever fully commodify it. So let's take this idea of open source, right? The idea that it is not controlled, it is not proprietary, and that it is maintained by people who believe in it and believe in that vision. I think that applying that same idea to 
America or the just the idea of political freedom at all uh, is a, a very powerful idea. And I do think that despite the fact that just like the internet, <laughs> or should we say that the internet just like America began with a beautiful statement of human freedom possibility and and an end to controlling dominating systems, both of those things, the internet and America obviously have become quite the opposite to some extent, but still contain enough of the the kernel, if you will, of freedom that that can never truly be stamped out. So think of think of America as something that can be infinitely customized and a place where you still can build literally anything, particularly if you get together with a group of like-minded contributors, uh, you know, a c- community updating the the hardware and the software. I think that that's a very exciting and positive way to look at America. I obviously I'm saying this in the context of there is a great migration going on. Everyone is leaving the big cities, uh, myself included, and you know fleeing out to areas that perhaps people previously looked down on. Hate to say it, you know the quote unquote flyover states. People who truly value their liberty and their freedom are just simply leaving the coastal states. They're leaving the blue states. It is happening um, enough so that I just saw California just lost two congressional seats and Texas just gained two. Right, so there's a big shuffling of the deck happening right now, uh, and that brings with it um, a lot of exciting ideas of like homesteading, like people buying land, uh, like people considering completely new ways to live uh, that they never thought possible before. That are of course often made possible by by the internet. You know, by the fact that where you are physically doesn't matter so much anymore. You can still Zoom call anywhere in the world, or you know, interface with your job you know, while living on a homestead in the middle of, you know, rural, rural Nebraska or something like that. So this is a really exciting thing that is happening right now, um, despite all the, the frankly horrifying things that are also happening. And it's something exciting to, to focus on. Um, and I think that although there was a big interest in communal living and that type of thing, and going back to the land in the 60s and the 70s, I think that this will be much more uh, fruitful in the sense that uh, we have the technology now to where people can do this without dropping out of society. And that's very exciting. So something to think about. What can a, if you think of America as open source, as a blank slate, as something that you can customize any way that you want and work around the rules, constrictions, and uh, bondages that we are put in, uh, often simply by changing your location, uh, what could you build? What's possible? I think that there quite a lot is possible. So just an idea, just a vibe to think about. I want to wrap that up by by reading something briefly. A, a lot of you may know this already, and some of this may be completely new to. Uh, this is called A Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace. It was written by John Perry Barlow. Uh, the lyricist of the Grateful Dead in 1996. Now, I have never, ever, ever in my entire life been into the Grateful Dead. I am not a deadhead. Uh, although I recently found out that Tucker Carlson is a huge deadhead. Go figure. Like he saw them 40 times and followed them on tour. Go figure. Uh, explain that one. Anyways, um, 
John Perry Barlow is important to me because he was a critical thinker of the early internet. He was on the Well Forums, if you're if you're old enough to remember those, and was probably one of the very first and most crucial people in um, crystallizing and laying out the ethic of freedom of the internet, much in the same way as the founders of America did in the Declaration of Independence. So if you want to maybe be, you know, maybe think of him as the Thomas Jefferson of the internet, probably not that far off. So I read this document for two reasons. One is to show how far we have fallen. Well, not we, but how much, because it's not we. In fact, I hate when people say we, uh, we, the, we as Americans, no. Um, uh, it's not we, it's the people who have controlled the internet, the Zuckerbergs and, and Dorsey's and, and Bill Gates of the world. Uh, so I show this, to, I, I read this to show how, how much the internet has been put under control, which is a very bad thing, but also as to rekindle the flame of both electronic and individual liberty, because uh, if we don't tend that fire, it will go out. So in that spirit, uh, allow me to read a declaration of the independence of cyberspace. Governments of the industrial world, you weary giants of flesh and steel, I come from cyberspace, the new home of mind. On behalf of the future, I ask you of the past to leave us alone. You are not welcome among us. You have no sovereignty where we gather. We have no elected government, nor are we likely to have one. So I address you with no greater authority than that with which liberty itself always speaks. I declare the global social space we are building to be naturally independent of the tyrannies you seek to impose on us. You have no moral right to rule us, nor do you possess any methods of enforcement we have true reason to fear. Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. You have neither solicited nor received ours. We did not invite you. You do not know us, nor do you know our world. Cyberspace does not lie within your borders. Do not think that you can build it as though it were a public construction project. You cannot. It is an act of nature and it grows itself through our collective actions. You have not engaged in our great and gathering conversation, nor did you create the wealth of our marketplaces. You do not know our culture, our ethics, or the unwritten codes that already provide our society more order than could be obtained by any of your impositions. You claim there are problems among us that you need to solve. You use this claim as an excuse to invade our precincts. Many of these problems don't exist. Where there are real conflicts, where there are wrongs, we will identify them and address them by our means. We are forming our own social contract. This governance will arise according to the conditions of our world, not yours. Our world is different. Cyberspace consists of transactions, relationships, and thought itself, arrayed like a standing wave in the web of our communications. Ours is a world that is both everywhere and nowhere, but it is not where bodies live. We are creating a world that all may enter without privilege or prejudice accorded by race, economic power, military force, or station of birth. We are creating a world where anyone, anywhere, may express his or her beliefs, no matter how singular, without fear of being coerced into silence or conformity. Your legal concepts of property, expression, identity, movement, and context do not apply to us. They are all based on matter, and there is no matter here. Our identities have no bodies, so unlike you, 
we cannot obtain order by physical coercion. We believe that from ethics, enlightened self-interest, and the common weal, our governance will emerge. Our identities may be distributed across many of your jurisdictions. The only law that all our constituent cultures would generally recognize is the golden rule. We hope we will be able to build our particular solutions on that basis, but we cannot accept the solutions you are attempting to impose. In the United States, you have today created a law, the Telecommunications Reform Act, which repudiates your own constitution and insults the dreams of Jefferson, Washington, Mill, Madison, de Tocqueville, and Brandeis. These dreams must now be born anew in us. You are terrified of your own children since they are natives in a world where you will always be immigrants. Because you fear them, you entrust your bureaucracies with the parental responsibilities you are too cowardly to confront yourselves. In our world, all the sentiments and expressions of humanity, from the debasing to the angelic, are parts of a seamless whole, the global conversation of bits. We cannot separate the air that chokes from the air upon which wings beat. In China, Germany, France, Russia, Singapore, Italy, and the United States, you are trying to ward off the virus of liberty by erecting guard posts at the frontiers of cyberspace. These may keep out the contagion for a small time, but they will not work in a world that will soon be blanketed in bit-bearing media. Your increasingly obsolete information industries would perpetuate themselves by proposing laws in America and elsewhere that claim to own speech itself throughout the world. These laws would declare ideas to be another industrial product, no more noble than pig iron. In our world, whatever the human mind may create can be reproduced and distributed infinitely at no cost. The global conveyance of thought no longer requires your factories to accomplish. These increasingly hostile and colonial measures place us in the same position as those previous lovers of freedom and self-determination who had to reject the authorities of distant, uninformed powers. We must declare our virtual selves immune to your sovereignty, even as we continue to consent to your rule over our bodies. We will spread ourselves across the planet so that no one can arrest our thoughts. We will create a civilization of the mind in cyberspace. May it be more humane and fairer than the world your governments have made before. Davos, Switzerland, February 8th, 1996. Such is the dream still. You can find that on the Electronic Freedom Foundation website uh, in full text if you like. Okay, so on that note, let me introduce today's guest. I'm talking to Janelle Mastema, who is an awesome body artist, a ritual artist, a, a flesh suspension artist, and all around super cool person. Let me read you her biography. So Janelle Mastema is an international experimental performance and body suspension artist. Janelle explores the psyche through theatrical rituals, somatic awareness, disassociation, and ecstatic states brought on through live magic, intense sensation, meditation, and visceral catharsis. In her solo work with Virgo Rising, she creates otherworldly realms to perform self-exorcisms and allegorical journeys of struggle, awareness, and renewal. Often, automatic writing and sigil destructions are incorporated into the performances. The intention is to promote empowerment of internal and external exploration of the human body as an altar of limitless creativity in a limiting society. Janelle has performed all over the world. She has an international resume that includes Europe, Japan, Mexico, and the United States. Her mentors include Louis Fleischauer and Stephen Johnson Leba. 
Many artists regard her as a favorite muse, medium, and conduit for liberating their profoundly creative desires. She has shared stages and product uh, projects with notable collectives and artists, such as Fakira Musafar, Aesthetic Meatfront, The Coyotal Church, Constructs of Ritual Evolution, MM Fab- uh, Fabrications, Embrace Chaos, The Skin Project, Cherie Rose, Ron Athey, Jane's Addiction, and Three Teeth. Janelle is a Los Angeles native and resides there today, serving in the sexual wellness industry. We had an awesome conversation on Zoom that you will, of course, greatly greatly enjoy. So with no further ado, here is the show. All right, hang in there. Talk to you soon. Why don't we just start with you? You just want to say a bit about, about your background and, and your art and, and everything. Give, give us the, 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 the encapsulation. A little bit of everything. Um, well, my name is Janelle Mastema. Um, that is a stage name that I came up with in high school, obviously. I think some folks can catch that, um, but I stuck with it. Uh, I am a performance artist and body suspension artist, and I've been in that realm for about 11 years now. And I've performed all over the world, on uh, Europe, Japan, Mexico, all over the States. And it's taken me to some really amazing places, and I've had a lot of incredible experiences. Uh, and it's... A really fascinating realm. Uh, it's really helped me with uh, self-discovery and healing. And the biggest reward out of that, uh, aside from that, is the way that it affects the audience in the same manner. And it's just a really big goal to, you know, aside from becoming a more well-rounded individual and a stronger individual. Um, is to inspire others uh, to do the same and to question their reality and explore um, their creative desires and all of their desires really is a lot of um, repressed uh, desires out there. And that really, you know, it bothers me. What do you mean by that repressed desire specifically, like the way that you're working with it and the way that you're looking at it? That's super, super interesting to me, obviously. Um, Well, growing up, I didn't really relate to a lot of people, uh, the things I was interested in, um, just like extreme performance art, you know, I was really into like Herman Nietzsche and the actionist movement as a, in high school. And I, I never came across anyone into any of that. And it really captivated me. And it really showed me that there, you can really create, uh, a very unique reality and that this isn't the only reality and it's not meant for everybody because growing up, I did see a lot of people struggle um, with the options we have to live our lives and not everyone fits in, in this, this societal structure. And I see just people struggling with just normal, just holding down jobs or whatever it is that is expected of them. So in you know, exploring art and finding the really extreme art um, it just really spoke to me and what before that existed, I didn't, I, I felt very little hope, um, in, in finding others or, or finding, um, people creating their own realities. So, um, I feel like I'm a lucky one because I did find community and I know that there's so many out there that struggle with you know, the world and the world they live in. And I really hope that I can show them that there's so much more out there and the possibilities are really endless. 
And, you know, I want to show that through my art because it is very strange. If you've never seen it, uh, one of my shows or one of the collectives I'm in, uh, we do really, um, really surreal art. And just based on feedback from audiences, you know, I, I get really touching feedback that, you know, they um, were just so wowed and they didn't know that this existed, much like how I felt when I first discovered these art forms. So that became, that that was the biggest reward of it all. So I really clung to that and that keeps me going. And um, yeah, I just want to keep showing folks that the possibilities are endless. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's really beautiful. And I'm, I was glad to discover you and find that people are, are out there doing things like what you're doing, because I feel like in the 90s, there was a lot, I mean, there was more, at least more visibility for things. I mean, there was stuff like the Jim Rose Sideshow, there was uh, Ron Athey, there was uh, even even to, to, to some extent, um, uh, Christian Death, you know, and like things like this. And and now it's, I think that a lot of what you were saying was really, you know, bringing out a lot of, well, the thing about that you were saying about how people are struggling to get by, they are not aware that they can create their own reality, which is obviously something that you know, I recognize a kindred spirit in you, I think, because we're both trying to communicate that in, in, in probably very different ways, but not, not that different. We come from the same kind of countercultural world, the same background. Um, so, but in the nineties, it seemed like there was so much more visibility and there was so much more cultural permission to push the boundaries in that way. And now we have the internet. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff on the internet, but it's really not the same. It's not, um, I, I don't know why it's not the same. It's not, it's not truly transgressive or boundary pushing and people I feel now are struggling more than ever, which makes it harder to explore. It makes it harder to push the boundaries. It's certainly been harder for me, even since I think since the 2008 crash, it's been very hard to find space to, just breathe for long enough to, you know, really take on some, some explorations in the chapel of extreme experiences, as Brian Geisen put it. But, um, which is why I was, I thought it was, it was, I was really happy when I found your work. Um, so I'm curious, there's a lot of stuff I want to ask you, but I, so I got to compartmentalize and, and pace myself, but I, I think the first thing would be, so what is your experience with people who come to your shows? I mean, is, is for a lot of them, is it their first experience or excuse me for a lot of them? Is it their first experience with suspension or extreme body art or this whole world? It depends on where I'm performing. Like uh, I perform everywhere from, goth clubs to uh, art galleries to uh, underground warehouse spaces and you know the goth scene is more familiar but when I I actually really enjoy when I'm performing for folks that have never seen anything like that um, because I feel like I'm opening a new door in their minds maybe uh, and it's much more provocative for them I think they appreciate it they listen and I mean they watch more intently um but I, it doesn't even matter that I get such wonderful feedback from any audience that I perform in front of. Um, and mostly they just have questions or gratitude at the end of the shows. They want to know, like, maybe maybe someone who's never seen that will ask me, like, why do you do this? And versus someone who's really already kind of curious or familiar, they'll just just thank me and just say how beautiful. I've had people come to me with tears in their eyes. Um 
just thanking me for putting myself out there and being vulnerable because it is very vulnerable. I'm naked and bleeding on stage a lot, but I'm conveying a lot of strength, a lot of um, beauty in uh, suffering because it visually looks like suffering, but for me, it's more like uh, breaking through um, maybe my own uh, limits or whatever I'm going through. Cause you know, there's always like internal intentions uh, before we go on stage that we try to focus on. It's a very well-rounded experience because we're not just, you know, sometimes we do get treated like, like freak show and, oh, they like it. They're a bunch of masochists and they're fine. They can butcher themselves and they're fine. Who cares? Um, but it's, it's so much more than that. You know, there's a lot of uh, emotional and mental preparation and physical, of course. Um, and we do try to go in with an, an intention to either build strength on something or to let something go. Um, it's a very much a magical experience um, and practice. Uh, so I think when I talk to people, I think they're really surprised to know how much goes into it emotionally and um all of it. We're not just, you know, like freak show monkeys here to entertain you, you know, because that does happen sometimes and that shit sucks. But um, for the most part, I get mostly really wonderful responses, even if they're terrified, which that's really exciting to see. Some people are like, I would never do that. But like, thank you. <laughs> so, so let's just but well, let's just get straight into talking about about magic then. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, you know, as as I'm sure you can tell, I, I very much, even though I, I studied with Gen, you know Genesis for so, so long and things like this, I, I I very much am of the intellectual bent, and I'm of the book booky magic type, right? Um, and that's just kind of been my my as try as I might to to get rid of it. You know, I am a bookworm. You know, so that said, I've always been fascinated and had a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, people who come at the spirit, just the spirit, let's just say the spiritual path from the fakier, you know, uh, angle, you know, where they come at it purely as a physical discipline. And I have a lot of that too, in the sense that I do really strenuous yoga and I actually teach, I teach strenuous yoga and things like that. So there's a definitely a body mortification side to that. Absolutely. Real, real yoga, not, not yoga studio yoga, but real yoga. There's a, certainly a body mortification aspect to it. Um, and, certainly with ritual, there can be, um, bloodletting and, and, uh, you know, more, you know, physical transgression and things like that. But certainly it is not to the extent of, you know, something like what you're doing, right. Which is such, at such a more tremendous level. So I've always had a tremendous amount of fascination and respect for this, particularly because it's not my natural way of approaching things. So I'm curious how you, how you view what you do magically. And I, I think the, Maybe the first thing I just wanted to ask is maybe if you just want to walk us through kind of what the states of consciousness you experience in doing these performances are. I mean, it's starting with the mental preparation and then and then going through the stages of of the performance. And, you know, are there I'm, I'm sure that there are moments of trance that you get into and ecstasy and then also the feedback loop with the audience. I'm really curious about that. And I, I yeah. Well, first, I really admire folks with uh, uh, the discipline to be more academic about magic. Or nerds, but you know, yeah. Yeah, but I really admire it. I'm much more of a squirrely person, and I like to skim through a lot of things and taste a lot of different things. 
because, you know, there's different tools for different jobs. And I apply maybe a certain magical practice to, to one kind of performance and maybe a different kind to another kind because some are more lax. Um, but when it's, when it's theatrical, like ritual performance, um, I do become much more uh, focused on something bigger than myself or something just really intensely internal. Um, it just depends what's going on uh, with me at the time. And that goes for most suspendees in any capacity. Um, you're going to have an experience based on what's going on with you. So um, I try to pay attention to what what's how, what I'm feeling, where I'm at emotionally, mentally, and what are my blocks, what are my knots, what do I want to untie, what do, what, or what do I want to uh, strengthen or um, call into my life. Um, so it's it's it, it varies each and every time. Um, but maybe, for example, um, one of my last Virgo Rising performances, and Virgo Rising is my solo project um, where I have complete control. Um, I had a show, uh, my last performance is 2019 Halloween, um, and it was for an event called Veil. And I did a performance called um, The Shroud of the Other. And I was going through a lot of... Uh, dark uh, I encountered some some dark some darkness and I really wanted to purge that um, and also you know Virgo rising is very much tied to um, finding the other self which is like your deep unconscious deep subconscious all of that um, so let me stop you though. So the other self, you mean like a transcendent self or more of a shadow or, and, and that, what do you mean by that more specifically? Um, like, it's like the, the, the self that's uninfluenced by society and daily life. Like maybe, um, things, the, the part that you're, the, I guess the, the, the shadow self, as they say, maybe, um, the desires and attractions that you have deep within yourself, but you feel like maybe there's no place for them, but there's something very deep rooted within you. And that's why you like are into that, but you neglect it because you don't really see a place for it. Maybe um, it could be a lot of things. Um, for me personally, it's, it's kind of a, it's like an untouched state of being like, there's no fear. There's, it's just like this, like purely Janelle, uh, not influenced by anything else. Um, it's it's a it's like it's in a very invisible thing, but that's how I f interpret it. Because when I get into these trance states, it's like that everything and nothing feeling where everything makes sense and nothing does, but it all does, and it's it's a very relieving experience. Um, and I, I think it's like a doorway to. Um, being more intimate with yourself and honest with yourself and realizing what your strengths truly are without all of maybe the trauma you've had or whatever uh, keeps all of that tucked away. Um, so to me, that's kind of the other self. It's like this true, the true strength that you have that maybe that you don't realize um, the hidden, the, the hidden self, maybe. The, the occult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I think that 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 for me is what magic's all about too. I mean, in whatever way you approach it, and and I think that's that's also what I think 
both fascinates and repels people about uh, magic uh, or or just any extreme self-exploration because people well people have these whole lives bottled up that they don't even know they have you know those like whole sides of themselves that they can't access and for me it was always magic was always a way to like get into that stuff like an archaeologist almost and it and give myself permission to explore um whether that's with other people or by myself and uh it doesn't even necessarily have to be extreme it's just the idea of exploring the poorest self and other personalities to be and other sides of yourself and we're not monochromatic beings but most people can't i would say that most people can't access that but i remember one time i read this is actually in the liner notes of a julian cope album i forget which one where he was talking about you know like artists are always befuddled by normies because they think that they are they think that they are expressing all these it's easy as an artist to think that you are expressing all these deep emotions and feelings and perceptions that, and the assumption is that that uh quote unquote normal people have the same level of emotional of emotional engagement with the world but they just haven't studied the artist or whatever artistic craft to be able to express it and so julian cope was saying no actually that's not the case most people don't even have that they don't have that emotional life they have to consume it from an artist who, who provides it for them they, they they don't even feel that deeply i don't know if i totally agree with that but um that was a challenging perspective and and one that i think about a lot but I think that people are repelled. They're fascinated by magic because they they love the idea of just be, having a space where they could just let go and do anything, you know. Um, so you see that in people that you love growing up. You know, you can see where they don't value certain parts of themselves, or they don't um, nurture certain really special things about themselves. So we, you definitely witness it in others. You know, you see it in your maybe your parents and your family, and it's it's heartbreaking. Like. You don't even realize how strong you are, or how much more you are than what you allow yourself to be. You know, you see a lot of suffering through that. And I think that for some of us, that's what triggers us to explore deeper because we don't want to end up like that. And maybe want to show people we love that this is possible. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it hurts. I mean, I, I think it's tough to, yeah, it's tough. It's t- I mean, it's tough to see people shut and shut down, particularly, you know, as we, you know, I think in teenage years, people are much less shut down in an early 20s. But by the time 30 comes around, a lot of people just, you know, it's like the gate comes down mm-hmm. and they're just like doing, a, you know, whatever. It's just it's a, I'm married with a kid. I got a job. You know, it's like it's and and I've I've grown to not begrudge that. And I, you know, it's particularly it's it's easy to fall back into like trying to trigger the the normies, you know, that type of thing. But I've, I've learned to not begrudge that, but it is tough. And at least for me personally, it's been a process of having to accept that and not, not personally take on the heartbreak of just seeing, seeing that happen and, and not make, not most of all reminding myself that I am not personally responsible. Yeah, totally. Um, that's like such a driving force behind like, making art that's provocative, you know, so you can try to reach them in some way through your own healing and experience through all that. 
So that's like always like the main goal behind my performances. I just am dying to spark a fire under people's hearts, really. Um, and, you know, it's just my aesthetic to be extreme. I, I love, you know, the bloodletting. To me, it's symbolic of renewal and purging. Um, like right now, I'm feeling like a very dirty old bag of blood because I have not bled for over a year. And it's kind of essential for my health, but I've kind of, I've held back because during all this time I got, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I guess slap in the face, like, no, it's, it's not time for you to be creative. It's time to go inward, which a lot of folks are, are experiencing. Um, but that's good because we, I think a lot of us have neglected a lot of um, deep nurturing. And this is really all of this time that we've had right now during quarantine and all this to really face a lot of the things that we've neglected and, I think that'll only make us stronger. So I accepted it. I was, you know, having my small regular magic practices and they were being like a mean mom to me. They were not giving me what I wanted to hear at all. I was like throwing tarot cards across the room. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what the fuck? Like I'm tired of you telling me to like know your know yourself. That's all I kept getting was know yourself, know yourself. And I'm like, I honey. Um, but um <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine, fuck, fine. I'll like go get therapy and I'll like start um I joined support groups. I started st trying to study what I think it might be like the biggest knot I'm experiencing because it has made me like feel like I've plateaued creatively and it's been I've just it's it's all like the, the dots are connecting and I'm like it's not the time for me to you know I, I have been writing I have written shows but there's been a lot of pressure um with you can't stop making art just because you're stuck at home and people are doing live streams and this and that but that's like not really my thing and I'm like should I be live streaming but I'm like I don't it just doesn't speak to me. So, and like I said, all my practices were telling me now, bitch, like you need to go way deep inward. And that's what I've been doing. And I'm just hoping to find a catharsis in that and come back even stronger when the time is right and try not to force anything. And yeah, just flow with it. It's a tough time. It's, a really it's tough very time. tough. Yeah, it's been tough. I mean, I'm like, it's been easy, easier for me in some ways in the sense that, you know, I, I never leave the house anyways. <laughs> I did it before COVID and I'm such, I'm a totally introverted. I mean, I'm not like socially introverted. I just, my natural bent is to be working or doing inter like, you know, meditating and things like this. So, uh, or, or writing. And, and so I, I live a pretty inwardly directed life and, but so, but oddly enough for me, I mean, this period has been the opposite of that. It's been a very brutally physical where I've been moving. I went through a breakup, like all this, you know, and, and all this stuff. And I had to get out of LA, you know, which we should talk about just what's going on there. But um, it's been like being in a kind of a nonstop adrenaline dump war zone for me for, as it has for, I'm sure many, many people. Um, so it's kind of been like non-introverted. It's it's kind of been the opposite, but I, it has been very purificatory. I think because for me, because it has forced me to, as I'm sure everyone, forced me to be real about what's important and what's not. And also, I mean, just galvanized my. To be honest, like fully galvanize my focus on how important individual freedom is uh, spiritually and politically. And it's just that it's unprecedented, the, the nightmare that we're in. And, and so it's really 
uh, crystallized uh, my and hardened my political views, I think, and hardened my outlook on life, which is g- actually good, I think. I don't think it's a bad thing. So, um, but it's been completely, I'm sure, transformative for everybody, but in different ways. So, yeah, um, I was actually almost kind of, it sounds terrible, but I was kind of grateful for the the pause. I was really uh, overwhelmed and exhausted. I have a, a travel heavy job and combined with performing, I'm like constantly physically killing myself, but to the point where it's not even enjoyable or I'm just, I, I have human limitations and I'm exhausted. So when this first started, it was nice to just slow down, but then it like, it's been, yeah, a huge constant adrenaline rush because uh, the atmosphere is heavy as fuck. I'm in LA, I'm right outside downtown and you're like breathing this like heavy atmosphere of suffering and terror. And um, it's been really like difficult and heartbreaking and heart wrenching and like what, like just f- feeling very helpless and you know, and I've been working through the whole thing. So I'm still really tired. I'm still mentally very exhausted. And yeah, it's just like, I can't, it just feels almost selfish to like force myself to be creative. It's, and then, and then like you encounter that question, like, what does it even matter what I make? Like if I put something out there, does it even matter? Cause everything else is so heavy. And I think absolutely it matters because everyone, yeah. everyone feels um, hopeless and, and people have lost, and I don't think it's overdramatic, people have lost something to live for. And uh, that's very dangerous. Uh, it, that's physically dangerous for people. I don't think people don't have like a guiding ideal. There's no higher purpose for people. And that's a tremendously dangerous place for a society to be. I think it's physically like that, that can make people physically sick. And um, artists can provide that for people. And that's, that's our function, you know, in a sense, that's what the artists are supposed to do in the classic sense. Um, and, and, and also hold a mirror up so that, you know, for the purpose of catharsis or self-awareness. Right. So, um, man, yeah, I, I get the mental tiredness thing. I will say tyrosine and vitamin C really helped me a lot with that. That's a good combo, but like that actually really helps. I recommend that, but, um, yeah, I've just been brutal. Like, just, just like, I feel like a truck run over, ran over me, you know, for the whole time I'm starting to come out of it and do more podcasts, but yeah, but let's talk about LA. I mean, like, yeah, LA staggers the imagination. I was there for 11 years. I finally left during COVID and I've been encountering this thing where I'm telling people how bad it is and people are either shocked because they've never heard it or they don't really believe me. And there's kind of this undercurrent of like, oh, well, you're probably watching Tucker Carlson or something like that. It's like, no, like it really is that bad. So I'm curious. um, Yeah. Like, what do you, what are you seeing? I mean, what's it like right now? You can cruise through any like major street and see the piles of trash and the horrendous amount of homelessness I mean, I, I'm born and raised here right outside downtown LA. So, you know, I grew up hanging out around Skid Row and it's worse than ever. It's a fucking nightmare and it's, it's heavy and awful. And I've never seen it like this. It's, it's not safe. The, the, like the neighborhood I moved into is it's not the neighbor. It's not the neighborhood I moved into. It's, it's, I don't, I, I just don't know what might happen at my door. I, I don't, um, people are desperate. And there's a lot of desperate criminal activity going on. Um, cars are getting broken into, homes are 
being invaded and I live next to the park, Echo Park. And that, um, over this time, up until about a month ago, there was 172 tents in the park. Um, so people were just migrating and migrating into the park because I, I think they felt safe. Um, even that, I think a lot of people found like serenity being in the park, but you know, it, it caused the community to feel very unsafe. There's never any children there and that really sucked. And they just recently um, swept the whole park out and now it's fenced up and they're renovating. Um, but yeah, and then with all of the uh, protests and all the uprisings and, and things, it's just been a lot. It's it's when you think it's not going to get any heavier, it, it spikes again, and it, so it's not getting better. Um, it does. It's like a little bit, but then something else happens. But it's just, the the violence is is constant. It's constant. Like it's what type constant. of violence? Uh, it's constant shootings. I also have a citizen app on my phone, which is really poisonous, but it's just constantly going off with constant shootings and um, constant car accidents and fires and all these things. You know, I think there's a lot more drunk driving. Going, I mean, I'm sure there is. There's cars flipping over on sunset regularly. Um, and it's just uh, people are, are boiling over and just it's just it's desperation emotional and financial and yeah it's just people are popping off people are having breakdowns left and right i've you know experienced this in my community my community has already experienced at least two suicides and these are like very creative artistic people and it's just it's it's been really dark and really hard and do you yeah. think this sorry Go ahead. do you think that that's really dark and and hard to hear i mean and i'm sure that there's a lot of that going on. Do you think that the contributing factors in that were economic, uh, mental illness, or just the despair of the situation, all of the above? I mean, nothing can be very helpful right now. I, I, I'm, do you see people getting pushed economically, like sliding into mm -hmm. hopeless situations? Yeah, yeah. The, the unemployment, uh, I know there's been a lot of messes with that and folks not getting their money on time i'm sure they're overwhelmed but it's just been so mismanaged and um good like working people are not getting the help that they deserve and initially i think a lot of the violence and um desperation happened because of the lockdown because i think fo folks that were already on the streets um, weren't accessing people that to help them, give them a few bucks, buy them food or whatever. So that turned into desperation and they all moved into the park and, um, and breaking into people's private property, you know? So I, I saw that immediately. Wow. Like right after lockdown started? In me, like within a couple, oh, like a, wow. within a week or two. Yeah. Do you think that the defund the police thing has affected this also? I don't know, you know, it's, I think it's gotten a lot of people interested in speaking up and, you know, I, I feel I, I have mixed feelings about it because I know that the people that really believe in that, I know where they're coming from because I, I, I'm from Boyle Heights, which was a very, very violent place in the nineties. And, you know, like in my community, the cops were awful to us, like horrible. They killed my neighbor. He was a Vietnam vet and he had a 
PTSD fit and they beat him to death with their batons because he was having a screaming fit. He wasn't armed or hurting anyone. He was just acting like a maniac, you know. Um, But this was like, you know, in the late 80s. Um, But anyways, we've, you know, we've all experienced these kinds of things and um, the authorities have not been protective or helpful in our experience. So I get that they're fired up and want to like, say, you know, fuck yeah, fuck the fucking cops and defund and whatever. You know, I think it's the wrong wording. I think defund the police is terrifying and not what people should be screaming or hearing. I I believe in like diverting funds towards mental health and more um, social programs. You know, I'm I'm a product of the welfare uh, program and they don't treat people very well. You know, they treat they treat us as uneducated slobs, ghetto people, and it's like okay, but that comes from some that's that comes from you know our shitty um, uh, education institutions. You know, like you know, and I have a lot of resentment for how, the way that I was educated in LASD. It's very neglectful. We're looked at like lost causes. We're looked at like we're just gonna join gangs and pump out a bunch of babies anyway. So we're useless and we might as well just go drop out and work at Burger King now. Like that's how it was, how it was, it felt. And I was one of the top students in my school. I didn't get much guidance. I didn't get much advice. I didn't get much encouragement. And I'm I'm still angry about that because I, I could have went to art school and I hadn't, that's how neglected we were that I didn't even know about like schools like CalArts. I didn't hear about CalArts till I was already in college. Um, so I, I know where all this anger and frustration comes from. I totally understand it. I, I went and I um, went to a, a few of the protests downtown and I saw a lot of heartbreaking things with people breaking down and crying and like reading the signs that they were holding. It's because they had really awful experiences. You know, I don't, I, there, of course there's always hecklers and hooligans that want to like just, you know, fuck shit up. But I think most people have, are coming from, you know, a place of experience and not having good experiences with people that are, the authorities that are supposed to protect us. So it's a complicated thing. Yeah. Yeah. That feeling of, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, well, the feeling of not being protected is really hard uh, by people who are supposed to. And there's so many different gradients and feelings of that. I mean, I think that the, the whole world is being betrayed right now. Uh, and they, they, I don't understand you know, whether it's Bill Gates or whoever it is, I mean, it's like, there's, um, you know, the authorities have, have failed us in so many ways and uh, are, are punishing us, it feels like, you know, very, very viciously. Mm-hmm. And um, some people are in situations where they can take more of that and some people aren't. And I think the most, particularly the most vulnerable people in this society are just being thrown to the dogs for what for what you know and and it's it it feels like some type of crazy depopulation concentration camp scenario to be quite honest Mm -hmm. it's really awful um and then so i think that it it makes sense that that there's a backlash against the authorities you know and 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 uh i think people should go up the ladder you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) let's go you know we should go up to all the way up to bill gates and things like this so but that feeling of 
not being seen and not being heard and not being protected, particularly when you're a kid is really rough. And so I'm curious for you and where you're talking about the LA school district. I mean, I grew up in Southern, I grew up in San Diego and I was born there. So I'm, I'm Southern California too, but um, it's not quite the same as LA and it's not Boyle Heights. Right. So I'm curious. Um, did you feel that art or, you know, discovering art or magic or, the path that you chose did that is that something that inspired you i guess what was that kind of your ticket out in a sense like that was your source of power um yeah it was definitely a source of strength for sure because i'm a very awkward person and very shy uh but once I found, once I became more self-aware, uh, I ended up finding a lot of pride in it because I felt like I knew secrets that other kids my age didn't. And um, it made life more worth living because it wasn't just what was right in front of you. I felt like I knew secrets and felt very in tune with it. I, I, I found, you know, philosophy maybe when I was about 12 years old and just, I was sitting there thinking about things probably my peers weren't. Um, so it was very empowering and strengthening um, and built some confidence that I didn't have uh, before that. Um, so yeah, you know, it definitely helped with confidence and things like that. And uh, it made me stand out. Um, and then, you know, one thing feeds another and that fed, you know, possibilities in my, in my mind with what possibilities maybe might be there for me because I'm in tune with this or that. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a savior for sure. Did you get a lot of pushback early on? No, really? um, I'm lucky. No, I, I come from a really amazing community, um, which was like, you know, 99% Hispanic, but um, I'm, I don't have a, a typical story. I, I, I was supported through all of my phases growing up. Um, uh very sweet people. My, my neighborhood was, because we were all experiencing, we're all in the same income bracket. We're all, you know, at the welfare office or in line at the grocery store with books of food stamps. We're, we all were experiencing the same kind of suffering in that sense. So it wasn't competitive. Um, the only agro folks were the, were the kids in gangs and things like that. But usually they were coming from really rough, neglected backgrounds and had a lot of anger. But no, I was, I was praised for being different and given that space and I was very accepted, people got a kick out of me. And, you know, I was always a very friendly person. So um, I didn't really get much backlash or bullying. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. That's great. Do you, yeah. feel like you, do you feel like you got pushback later in your career? I mean, when you, when you started doing things more on a more professional level? Not much. And I, you know, I wonder why it's like, maybe, maybe cause I'm a woman and it's just, Maybe because I'm I'm presenting things that are really unique and they kind of like maybe want to hate on it, but they can't because it's different. And, um, you know, I'm not like the most arrogant person, you know, I'm like, I try to be very friendly and down to earth. So it's, I don't really give people much fuel to hate on me. <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> it seems that way anyways. Okay. that That's really cool. I mean, Obviously, there was so much. There was so much fear about occult anything in the eighties, 
uh, and 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 in the '90s also, and and I've I've faced pushback as well. I mean, not as much as I thought I would, but but definitely. And although I feel like I face more, I get more pushback from like backbiting haters who like are jealous mm-hmm. or whatever than I ever do from like the culture at large, which I just think is completely oblivious. But um, but that's really cool. I mean, that's that's cool that you had a that you came from a supportive background. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for that, and I'm I'm still friends with people from elementary school, and yeah, they're, they they look at me like, of course, Janelle's the way she is. Like, of course, she grew up to be this way. Like, it's not surprising at all. Not at all. I'm kind of the same person I've been since I was 13. It's a good <laughs> bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Man, what do you think? I mean, what do you think is going to happen in LA though? I mean, it just seems like there's no end in sight and I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, that, that's just where we're at. Like we, none of us know it's, it's like we're opening up, but there's, there's still so much discomfort and um, I would hope that communities are still going to be very, tight and I can see like once we're allowed to congregate again that it's going to be filled with a lot of love and support of each other because that's the beauty of community you know we are like-minded people and enjoy the same things and adore each other for who we are and like I can imagine that once we're all back in the same rooms that it's going to be a lot of love and tears um and I am starting to see the shift of because everyone's sick of this. Everyone is exhausted and sick of it. And I think um, there's kind of a vibe of people getting ready to like make things again. Um, I think people are, are are done with like just being down on all this and all these ideas have been brewing over this time. And I just, I can feel it. I can kind of start seeing that people are starting to get the ball rolling for what they're going to do next. And but it is tricky, especially with what I do, because it's such a biohazard. And yeah. I'm I'm starting to get these new fears that I wonder if people are going to be scared to see performances like ours where there's bodily fluids involved. Um, but maybe not. I think maybe for a short while it's going to be weird and wonky and hard to navigate. But I'm, I'm a very optimistic person, and I, I, I do think that our like I don't think anything can kill like our spirit and the underground spirit and the alternative spirit. I just I don't see it not coming back. That's very optimistic. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a parallel with the AIDS era, though. I mean, with that. I mean, I, I remember talking. This is several years ago now, maybe ten years ago. I was talking to a, um, a close gay friend who was telling me about just um, even now after after the AIDS era, you know, it's like you could be at a gay bar and somebody could cut themselves and everyone will instinctively flinch and try and get away from that person, mm-hmm. uh, which is intense yeah. to say the least. So I, I wonder if, um, I mean, obviously there's not exactly the same way, but there's parallels now. Um, uh, but there's gotta be like, there's gotta be a historical precedent for how things, I mean, like Ron Athey, right. was HIV positive. Right. So there's gotta be like some historical precedent or I, how, I don't know how he approached it, but there's gotta be something there. Yeah. And he's still bleeding on stages and things. I mean, I'm, you know, prior to this, but um, yeah, I, I love Ron. He lives right down the street. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we already have very strict protocols in place. 
um, the Association of uh, Professional Piercers, um, um, most of the facilitator, suspension facilitators I work with are all members of that. So it's like we already have protocols in place for this kind of thing. Uh, most of us are um, certified in bloodborne pathogens. So we really try to cover all corners and our practices are very sterile and um, we have sterile and aseptic techniques that we apply and that's not going to change. It's going to get a lot more stricter, which is a good thing. Um, so we're kind of already prepared and trained for this kind of thing. It's just it's the matter of how audiences feel about it, how club owners are going to feel about it and things like that. Um, I mean, we're not out like, you know, squirting blood off the stage, but, you know, things happen. <laughs> you know, the blood might hit the floor, um, but we have really strict protocols in place. So I know that we can handle it, um, handle cross-contamination and all that kind of thing. I'm just worried about audiences. I really am. But I think right. in in time, it'll it'll be okay. But I wonder, in a in a sense, though, I wonder if because of all of that, because of COVID and the lockdown, and not just not being able to gather, and not just the fear of contagion, but also the fact that people have been forcibly divorced from physicality and and from their own physicality. You know, it's like people have basically been forced into this virtual world of Zoom and scrolling their phone till five in the morning. I mean, it's, I don't think I'm just talking about myself, but um, I think maybe because of that, maybe those performances will be even more potent and transgressive and vital and real potentially because it's forcing people back into confronting the physical. Oh, that's very exciting to hear. I love that. And I really hope so. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Um, it sounds very cathartic. Like, it sounds great to me. It sounds very cathartic. I think. Um, yeah. Because I don't think, you know, certainly I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like, I, I don't even, I probably don't even have a sense of how disconnected I am now, as opposed to, as opposed to 18 months ago, just disconnected from physicality. You know, I'm just getting back to exercising now and after every, everything that has been going on in my life. I mean, I've been nonstop moving boxes, but I mean, just like exercising and enjoying it. Um, and obviously everyone is going to have a tremendous amount of buried physical trauma. I'm pretty calm most of the time, but I can tell, I mean, it's like, there's definitely sub layers under there where I'm pretty twitchy. Yeah, no, I feel it too. I mean, I feel it in my bones and my organs. I just, I feel internally stressed, I feel like internally shaky and tired. I and mean, the fatigue is, is really shitty. Um, but I think it's about being gentle and not, without rushing anything we're all going we're all experiencing this together and i don't think we should be hard on ourselves about that it's going to take time but i'm just ever the optimist that i think things will heal and get very interesting but yeah that's definitely a thing I, yeah i feel physically uh, crippled a lot of times a lot of the time yeah deep internal feeling it's hard it's hard. I mean, I, I definitely feel like I'm at diminished capacity just, just from the uh, dealing with the, the constant adrenaline dump mm -hmm. and, yeah. and the fatigue, like you're saying, tyrosine, ty I really recommend it. Tyrosine and vitamin C, very helpful, super, yeah. super helpful. Um, okay. Let's talk about magic more. All right. <laughs> um, so when did you first, when did you first start consciously approaching the idea of magic as part of or was it there from the beginning or was there a point at which you more consciously started approaching the idea of magic as part of what you do um i guess let me see well it's 
my explorations started in, uh, uh, let me see, in Sunday school. Um, when I was about 10 or 11, I was pretty Catholic and okay with it. <laughs> and I had a very like hippy dippy loving view of like, I was very like Christ consciousness as a kid. Um, but once I started Sunday school for, what was it? My first communion, um, I was immediately heartbroken immediately once they were teaching God fearing and um, God's wrath and all of that. And I was uh, so heartbroken. And so I immediately like became atheist. I was just so disappointed. Um, and like, I have a very similar story to a lot of folks. Um, I was introduced to Satanism. Um, and by the time I um, did my first communion, I was, I had it. I was like, very atheist and um, reading a lot of Anton LaVey and that was very empowering. Um, and it just kind of grew from there, totally went through the 90s mall goth <laughs> Wicca thing with my friends, but that was wonderful. I mean, that was a wonderful practice in like divine feminine energy because it was me and my little girlfriends and we all gave ourselves new names and um, we're reading all of these uh, all of these new books and we're very excited about it and it, it equaled a lot of creativity and a lot of creative thought and uh, new thoughts and it was very exciting um and after that i just i think i explored art more um more extreme art things and then it wasn't maybe until maybe college that was uh, more introduced to like chaos magic and things like that you know um, but for a long time, I identified as like a LeVay and Satanist for a long time. It was just so much fun. It was like the rock star, the rock and roll, like way to, way to live for me. Like it was fun. I, I'm all about not taking myself super serious. And that's like the perfect language that spoke to me. So I have a very like common story, but that's, that's what, what I'm no, it's really important. I mean, it's yeah. obviously so misunderstood, but that, that phase is really important. I, I mean, I had the same mall. I, I was not, a, I wasn't a Satanist, but I definitely had the Satanic Bible and I was, de I was definitely a mall goth for sure. Like Bo Staff and Magic the Gathering cards at the food court is going to be like full on, you know, but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that it, it, Satanism is very misunderstood. It's like, it's such an important first step for many people in terms of just breaking, like having the force of will to break the taboos, particularly in the U.S. The English don't get this at all. Like, because the, the English, the English are basically an atheist culture. They don't understand the extent to which, you know, like you grow up like in particularly in Southern California or in America, you grow up in this like bizarre, like Joel Osteen, like, you know, Christian, but, but like mall, mall Christian, like really tacky, you know, uh, environment. I don't know, maybe not now. I don't know. Maybe it's different now, but certainly when, when we were growing up, it was very much like that. And, and, you know, even like, even like people miss you know, underestimate how important Marilyn Manson was. Mm -hmm. you know, oh. in terms of shot, rattling people, mm -hmm. you know. Oh. Mm -hmm. It had a huge anyway. effect on me, huge effect on me. But um, back to what you're saying, but I also had the benefit of growing up um, in a Catholic Hispanic community, which is very superstitious and practices magic. Well, we do limpias, which is our cleansings and things like that. So I grew up around that those kind of ideas anyway. So it was easy to explore magic because we already were 
you know, I already grew up with my elders practicing their own magic, but it was under the guise of Catholicism. So I grew up around superstition anyways, and I, I really appreciate it these days. I hated it as a kid because it felt very judgmental. It is very judgmental. Um, it's like I can go into a botanica, but I'm going to get looked at with suspicion because I have long black hair. I'm like, oh, well, you know, she's probably practicing bad magic. Black <laughs> magic. Are you, though? Um. <laughs> It probably looks like it, but no. You had to think about it for a second. <laughs> well, maybe as a kid, maybe to make someone fall in love with me. <laughs> always Nothing. backfires. Always. Uh, yeah, I, my family was not religious. Well, no, that's not true, I guess. But I definitely came from a different background. But but um, I'm interested. You were talking about Christ consciousness and 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 then feeling betrayed by that and and i think this is also something very common with magical people where they're true they're they're it's not that they're true believers that is a bad connotation whether they don't believe a doctrine it's that they really the whole idea of connection to spirit is is very sincerely real for them and then often they feel betrayed by uh, organized religion for obvious reasons but then are are still are driven to reconnect in their own terms. And so that's also something that people misunderstand a lot because they see people, particularly if they take on countercultural trappings where they seem rebellious, they don't understand the, the purity of spirit and the purity of intent that can be being expressed there. Um, I'm curious, so do you, do you feel that that, like talking about Christ consciousness, do you feel that that carries on into your performances now in this sense to connect with people and, and shake people awake perhaps. And then even, you know, the obvious thing of the idea of communion and things like that with what you do. Mm, maybe symbolically. I mean, the, the Catholicism does have really beautiful rituals and it's, it's, it's visually very gorgeous. And I, you know, I don't hate it. Um, I just didn't like, the fear they were putting in us that was really frustrating. It didn't make sense to me. You know, I thought we came from an all loving God that created us as precious, you know, and wonderful gifts and, and his image and all of that. Um, I don't really think about that too much these days in my performances and how I connect to the audience. Um, just because people come from so many different backgrounds, uh, that, that just, that's just so far past in, in my past. But um, being older and you know seeing more in depth um, analyzing of Christ consciousness, it's uh, I think it's a very beautiful thing and something and something people should strive for. Um, and preach like it, it's just it preaches humanity. And, and kindness and compassion and um, like, yeah, I totally vibe with that. We need more of that. Um, and I, I don't hate the teachings, you know, in the Bible and uh, some, maybe some of it, of course, but there's a lot to value there. And I feel the same way as I did as a child when I would in Bible studies, you know, the, the, the beautiful parts are stunning and gorgeous. And there's a lot of beautiful lessons and how to be kind to your fellow man, like all of that. That's fine with me. It's just the way that it was, turned to manipulate to cause manipulation so that we all act a certain way is very confining and contradictory to me as a child and um yeah it destroys a lot of people's minds and families and how they treat their children things like that um but yeah i'm not too connected to that anymore not really i, I just meant in the sense of you know is, is it is it a 
you know, is there something rattling around in there in terms of it was an influence on, it was an early influence on what you do now? Not so much. Not, not, not like consciously anyways. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> oh, you know, they, they, you know, the Catholic church says if they have you by the time you're seven, they have you for the rest of your life. So and even Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna, I think both said at one point, you know, like if you're Catholic, you're Catholic. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's like Tim Leary said, like, you can do as much acid as you want. You're still going to be Catholic no matter what. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I didn't grow up like, in a strict uh, religious home at all. Um, and then we even dabbled in Christianity for a while. And I thought I thought the whole speaking in tongues was really cool. That was very oh, like, inspiring. Like, like Pentecostal? I, I don't know. I don't remember. I was so little. Um, it was a Filipino christian church we used to go to my mom had a crush on the pasture <laughs> he was really cute but um he would speak in tongues and i thought it was really neat i liked the the vibe and the build-up and you know whoever wanted to come up to be saved and sometimes i would just go just to get like that energy thrown at me and i thought it was really fun um i didn't take it super serious but i thought it was fascinating yeah one of the really interesting things about that is it's actually very similar practically speaking to chaos magic and as much as they're getting into super altered states and then just doing these you're speaking in glossolalia and doing yeah. basically doing chaos magic rituals it's very neck and neck funnily enough yeah and i see that and that's always really fascinating yeah that, that, that was inspiring but other than that just there's a lot of aesthetic inspiration in it it's really beautiful but yeah, you, you tell me what I can do and not do with my body and like, I hate you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So on that, maybe maybe the best way to end the interview would be, I'm just, if you want to put on your expert hat for, uh, for a, just a brief period, like in terms of, obviously everyone's in different situations with the lockdown and, and things like that, but you know, as we were talking about earlier, I think people are very much feeling divorced from physicality and probably also very, I, I'm just speaking about myself, but I imagine if I'm going through stuff, probably other people are too, or it's just feeling very um, depersonalized, feeling like things aren't real, feeling like they're in a weird dream or a nightmare and none of this is actually happening. Um, what do you think are some good practices or ways of thinking that people can take on to kind of get back into their body in a constructive way? Hmm. I think just uh, active listening. I mean, I work in the sexual wellness industry and um, from that standpoint, uh, at any time, uh, most people don't really have a good relationship with their bodies, um, especially sexually. Is. There's so many people out there that don't even know how to um, be sensual with themselves. And there's that comes from so many things that can come from shame and trauma and all these things. But, you know, in my work, I speak to a lot of people that just don't know how to, like, explore their bodies and nurture their sexuality um, or give themselves that time and permission to do that. Like with anything else, you know, I always say that like spiritual, mental, emotional, and um, like sexual fitness are equally important, you know? So I 
think people need to find a balance with that. If they maybe ask themselves in what ways do they nurture themselves physically and what ways do they neglect themselves physically? Like, are they in tune with their body? Are they, do they have confidence um, with their bodies? Like what feels wrong, what feels right? And like asking themselves, like if something feels wrong, why and where does that come from? And just communicating with yourself and trying to like understand where their fears come from when it comes to certain physical things that they're not confident about. Um, it's hard to say. Just so many people have different hangups and but just in my experience, it's just I can see where people focus too much in one area and totally neglect another. Um, and I just think people need to ask themselves more questions of what's the root of their like of what they don't know about themselves, you know. Um, so I, I deal with a lot of that. Um, and luckily, one really nice thing about this quarantine um, sales are way up in the sexual wellness industry. I work for a, a high-end um, adult toy manufacturer. And uh, over last summer, everyone saw like just huge spikes in sales. So part of me was really happy about that. Like people are finally taking the time to explore and try these things that they've neglected to try. Um, so that said a lot to me. That said, people were finally facing that they've neglected um, a lot about their own bodies. And that's great. Um, yeah. Although also we've been seeing that the divorce rate has been through the roof, mm-hmm. and just just couples who are now in lockdown together are just breaking up, and it happened to me. You know, it's like um, pretty, but it's been pretty. Uh, pardon, it's been very epidemic. You know. That's not no pun intended. So hopefully, but hopefully that's interesting what you're saying. It's like, hopefully that there's a lot of positive self-exploration going on as well. I think what you said is very powerful about just taking, you know, and this is so, this is so much what I try to communicate with people, communicate to people with magic also is just taking the time to stop and think for, and, and ask yourself what's going on and what you need. And it's easy even with magic to not do it because people get so wrapped up in doing other people's rituals and they don't, they're still blocking a conversation with themselves by doing that. They're just emulating something else. Mm-hmm. But it, it, the reason people don't do it is because it's hard and painful to do. Because uh, you kind of have to admit, you know, that something, something's not right or you're missing something. And then there may be shame or there may be feeling of inadequacy or whatever it is. Um, and or helplessness mm-hmm. and or trauma or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but I think that what you said is that is the most powerful there is just that asking yourself what you don't know about yourself. That's a really, yeah. that's re- really, yeah, I'm going to think about that. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a powerful statement. The time is now, you know, like I think that this time is, you got to like turn things upside down. If it's terrifying, you got to flip it around and see what message is in there. Because there, if, if it's making you feel that way, there's definitely a deep rooted message that's waiting for you to like, waiting to be discovered by you. You know, I've personally been going through that. Um, I'm not one to attach to trauma and my past, but now I'm seeing, you know, I, leading up to the, the quarantine, I was already starting to face, fuck, I have some really fucked up knots that I can't untie. 
So this happened right at that time. And I've been trying to use this, utilize this time the best I can to really face nasty shit that I thought was way, I was way beyond. And it turns out it's all creeping up. And what else am I going to do with my, it's the best thing I can do with my time. Um, I can't be, um, I can't grow as an artist if, you know, I'm struggling with these loops and knots that are making me miserable. So I, during this time, it's been really nasty and awful, but I've been facing a lot of um, what the root, trying to find what the root causes are for for these 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 knots in my life. Um, so I, I don't want this time to go by in vain and hopefully untie that and be a stronger person. And it, maybe it can just clear um, my vision so that I can grow as an artist. That's very optimistic yeah. Yeah, and, and inspiring. I mean, it, it's funny too, right? It's like, you always think it's like, oh yeah, I handled that. I'm past that. Yeah, I'm awesome. And then it's like a few years go by. It's like, ha, 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 ha. not so much. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. That's exactly what I've been going through. Yeah. Crazy, right? I don't know why that is. It doesn't make sense to me. It feels unfair, I suppose. Although, but that said, there's always, whenever you revisit things, you always understand them at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Maybe just because you're more mature. I mean, more time has passed. You've experienced more of life. So now you can process things in an even, in an, in an even more mature fashion. I, I, suppose i mean i don't know it's hard to process things emotionally when you're even in your 20s i mean you're just like a ball of hormones it's a nothing it's just everything's chaos you know? so you know yeah yeah so I, I'm, I'm really hoping uh, yeah it, it's it's i am optimistic but it, it is hard because i know there's a lot of folks that don't navigate with this kind of clarity and they're boiling over and like popping off as i say and you know it's it's an interesting time and I can only focus on myself and my loved ones. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. I just, you know, I really hope that some, a lot of people are coming to these kind of realizations and looking inward more deeply than ever. Because uh, I think that is very beneficial, you know, to, 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 to individuals and how they treat the world and the people around them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's probably a very hopeful. That's a that's a really important message, even if it's, you, you know, even if it's like, oh, you, you think you know that, like, no, it's really important to focus on. And maybe that's a good place to bookmark the conversation. But um, and, and just because it's, you know, what what could be more important to say, I think, but let us um, Tell us where we can find out more about your about you on the internet or or what you're working on right now, where to find you. Um, I'm very bad about that kind of stuff, but I'm on Instagram uh, under Janelle Mastema. And I do have a Virgo Rising page on Facebook where you can find um, all of my performance uh, photos and updates and uh, what I'll be uh, doing next and things like that. But mostly Instagram. So. Do you do you do you have performances on YouTube or anything like that? Uh, there's a little bit on there. I just I'm terrible about terrible about organizing uh, photographers and videographers, but they're scattered on there. I, I should be better. I should have been better about that. But yeah, it's mostly going to be like on Facebook on my Virgo Rising page. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah I got to get a bunch more of my, more of my stuff on YouTube. It's, these things are such chores sometimes. Uh, so wait, so tell us one more time what your Instagram is. It's uh, Janelle, J-E-A-N-E-L-L-E underscore Mastema, M-A-S-T-E-M-A. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you. That was a great conversation and we should pick it up again in a future one. I would love that. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, I hope you really enjoyed that. Make sure to check out magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E for my full range of ever-growing courses on magic, mysticism, and meditation, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. And until the very next episode, take care of yourself.